Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda a voice in the desert now here's crystal heath hola amigos como estas happy tuesday one and all hope you had a nice long extended weekend if your weekend was extended mine wasn't but if yours was congrats and i hope it was great and now we're back now we're back. Yesterday we played the pineapple story from Otto Koning. If you enjoyed that, we have more where that came from. Just let me know and I can get some more Otto Koning on here. Uh, you're listening to 101.1 FM KVXL Experience Liberty Radio, coming to you live from Studio B at Liberty Baptist Church on Rainbow and Lake Mead Boulevard. Our next service here at Liberty will be tomorrow night, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Be here because you do not want to miss it. All right, first thing you need to know this Tuesday is that today from 2 to 5 p.m. is a Dairy Queen free frappe giveaway. If you visit Dairy Queen today between 2 and 5 p.m., whether you're on East East Coast time, Pacific time, whatever time zone you're in, Dairy Queen, between 2 and 5, you get a free small Oreo ultimate frappe. You are welcome. No need to thank me. Thank Dairy Queen. They're the ones that are going to make your taste buds happy. All right, I just saw this when I walked in uh, to the studio. I did not see this yesterday, but apparently yesterday, uh, Phyllis Shafley from Eagle Forum, we played the Shafley Report here uh, every afternoon on KVXL. She has passed away uh, in the presence of her family at her home in St. Louis, Louis, Missouri. Uh, An iconic American leader whose love for America was surpassed only by her love of God and her family. Phyllis Schlafly, an indomitable pro-family grassroots advocate and organizer, was 92 years old. Mrs. Schlafly was preceded in her death by her beloved husband, Fred, and is survived by six children along with 16 grand and three great-grandchildren. You know, this woman made her life about protecting the family. And uh, LifeNews.com had a good article this morning. I just want to read it to you. Uh, pro-life leaders remember Phyllis Schlafly. She's the reason the GOP is pro-life. And that's not an overstatement. Kristen Hawkins, president of Students of for Life of America, was a longtime friend of Mrs. Schlafly who spoke at the annual SFLA national conferences and who was a mentor to Ms. Hawkins as well. Hawkins told LifeNews.com that Schlafly deserves credit for getting the pro-life plank in the Republican Party platform approved in 1980 and then keeping it there every four years after that. Phyllis Schlafly was one of my personal heroes and mentors who inspired millions to the fight against abortion and the disastrous Equal Rights Amendment, which would have made abortion a constitutional right. Phyllis is the reason the Republican Party is a pro-life party. Hawkins told Life News, Phyllis will be missed, yet her legacy will live on through my generation and in the young women who are fearless in the fight for the lives of the pre-born and their mothers on their campuses and in their workplaces 
and communities. Family Research Council President Tony Perkins told Life News that Phyllis Schlafly will be remembered for her courageous leadership in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds. With the political establishment, the the media, and academia all arrayed against her, she organized a grassroots movement that not only stopped the Equal Rights Amendment, or the ERA, but became the foundation for the pro-life, pro-family movement we have today. I have little doubt that the political and cultural landscape of America today would have long ago been devoid of true conservatism if not for her leadership. She never surrendered her principles, and she never gave in to intimidation. Her love for God in this country drove her to fight for the constitutional principles that founded this nation. We honor Phyllis for the lessons that she taught us all. I'm proud to have stood alongside her for faith, family, and freedom concluded Perkins. Uh, Ed Martin, the president of Phyllis Schlafly's Eagle Forum organization, knew the pro-life icon well. Here's what he had to say. She once said that she had done it all, just not all at once. And it was true. Phyllis was a wife, mother, and homemaker, then a best-selling book author, a political candidate, and a radio and TV personality. Later, she led national movements and international protests. She was a friend to thousands and a model for millions. In everything she did, Phyllis brought joy, excellence, and success. Today, Phyllis Schlafly died like she lived, with dignity and a smile. Surrounded by her family, Phyllis passed away and entered her reward with the Lord. Her family, friends, and staff will miss her, and her nation will be eternally grateful. More to follow in coming days, but allow me this. I had the unique privilege over the past three years to work with Phyllis day in and day out. I listened to her closely and watched her even more closely. What I heard and saw could fill volumes, but one thing came over and over in all she said and did. She loved people. Her life and work was about making life better for others whom she recognized as gifts of God. Phyllis is survived by her six children, 16 grandchildren, three great-grandchildren, all who gave her such joy. And she is survived by we the people who live better lives because of her loving service. Please remember Phyllis, uh, Phyllis's family in your prayers. Our country has lost a, a legend. Conservatism has lost a, a soldier of the cause like no other. I mean, Phyllis Schlafly, if you look at her life and what she accomplished and what she was committed to and the change that she brought about, not only in conservatism but in the GOP, really just an incredibly remarkable woman. If I can accomplish half as much in my life as she did in hers, even a quarter as much, it would be amazing. I encourage you go go read a little bit about Phyllis Schlafly today. Let her inspire you to do great things and to dream big dreams and to live a life of purpose. All right, a couple of stories I want to get here to here today. We're going to have Benji Backer, a contributor for uh, for Red State, and then. Uh, Chris Cruz, who does some writing for The Blaze, they're both going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. But first, I want to hit on this story. This is from CBS News. The ACLU is saying that a Christian woman was forced to remove her headscarf in order to receive a license in Alabama. The American Civil Liberties Union is suing county officials in Alabama who told a Christian woman to remove her headscarf for her driver's license photo. Yvonne Allen of Tuskegee says the clerk insisted that only Muslim women are allowed to cover their hair. 
The ACLU's suit filed Tuesday in Montgomery Federal Court says Lee County Clerk Becky Frazier and her supervisor, probate judge Bill English, are violating her religious freedom rights under the U.S. and state constitutions by refusing her repeated request to take a new picture with her hair covered. In accordance with my Christian faith, I cover my hair with a headscarf, but the DMV refused to take my driver license photo unless I removed it, Allen said in a written statement on the ACLU website. The DMV officials said only Muslims were allowed to keep their headscarves on for photos. I didn't know what to do. Without question, I believe that Muslim women should not have to violate their faith just to take a driver license photo, but neither should Christian women. Allen said wearing a headscarf is an integral part of her Christian beliefs. In accordance with my Christian faith, I cover my hair with a headscarf, but the DMV refused to take my driver's license photo unless I removed it, she said. English did not immediately return a message seeking comment from CBS. All right, here's the dealio. I grew up in central Pennsylvania, the land that brought you religious freedom thanks to William Penn and his holy experiment, which is phenomenal history. If you do not know about William Penn and William Penn's holy experiment, you need to do some reading this week. Seriously. Incredible. Uh, But Pennsylvania, I believe, is more religiously diverse than any other state in the U.S. Old school. Stuff. There are more traditional old school religions being practiced in Pennsylvania than anywhere else in the United States that I can think of. I mean, you've got you've got the Amish, the Beachy Amish, the Old Order Amish, the Mennonite, the Amish Mennonite. You've got Quakers, Hutterites, Moravians. The list goes on. And pretty much every one of these groups I just mentioned, and then several more, um, they all cover their heads. Their their translation. Or, or, or their interpretation, rather, the way they interpret scripture is that women should have their head covered. And we can we can discuss the merits of whether or not women should cover their heads another time. I personally think uh, when when we have that in First Corinthians where it talks about a woman having her head covered, it, it concludes with, and her hair is given her for a covering. But we, that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is the fact that these individuals and many others like them believe that as Christian women, their heads should be covered. And growing up in central Pennsylvania, you're very accustomed to seeing what would be called plain people wearing plain dress. And and that's not an offensive thing to say to them. This is what the Amish and the Mennonite call themselves. And particularly outside, you know, Amish circles, you would simply be called an Englisher or an Englishman. Doesn't matter what color you are. If you're an American that isn't Amish, you you are, you're English. You thought you were an American, but if you're interacting with the Amish, you're you're actually English. So keep up. But anyway, you you grow up alongside these groups, really some of the nicest people on the planet, and by goodness, they can cook. And some of them recognize Jesus as God and realize their sin and need of a Savior. Others, it's more work-based. But they all recognize the Bible as the standard for, for faith and living and adhere to many of the same tenets of faith that the Baptists, say, would hold. Uh, but one of the the obvious differences is their dress. The older order Amish in particular, they dress very plain. Um, they strive, their their goal is to not draw attention to themselves in any way. And you could say, well, that's an oxymoron in today's culture. Well, again, not, not where I'm trying to head today. But they believe that a woman's head ought to be covered so they wear head coverings. It may look strange to you. But remember, not too long ago, the typical American woman wouldn't be caught dead going to church without her hat. I mean, have you ever watched Andy Griffith? Come on. It's a modesty thing. They, they believe that women's heads are to be covered. And as I mentioned, there are many, many branches of, of the Amish or different Quaker groups or different things that, that, that hold this belief. 
They don't tell you that you have to be covered or that you need to give up your electricity or your car or you can't work, please. I, I, I just, I, you don't see that, okay? You don't see any renegade bands of Amish parading around and threatening to behead people who don't cover up. That just doesn't happen. And it's not going to. Which brings me back to this article. Why is it that we are willing as a culture to accept Muslims who wear headscarves, but we're telling Christian women who also believe for religious purposes that, that they need to wear headscarves that they can't? And then what of Orthodox Jewish women who also cover their heads? What of Hindu women who cover their heads? Why is it okay for your head to be covered if you're a Muslim, but if you practice any other religion, it's not okay? And furthermore, how did this clerk determine the reasoning for this woman covering her head? Is there a religious test now required that's before you can get your your driver's license? And finally, let us consider this. The only people group that's actually driven their vehicle into an area with an intent to kill people in any type of recent memory? They've been individuals who have professed an adherence to Islam. So if this is about security, then make it a blanket rule. No one can have their head covered for a license picture. But if this is about religious freedom, fine. You know, I'm cool with that, too. I, I think that that's, you know, one of the founding things that our country was built upon, right? But then every religion gets to utilize it. I mean, good grief, let the poor woman wear her head covering. It's not like it's a burqa and all you can see are her eyes or something, even. It's just covering her hair. I, I don't get it. I don't understand why our culture has reached a point where we're we're okay with it because we don't want to offend Muslims. But if you're not Muslim, then mm, sorry, we don't we don't cater to you at all. It's ridiculous. All right, now a happy story so that my blood doesn't start boiling and spill over and then I die on the air. That would just be traumatic for everyone involved. This is from the Daily Mail. A 92-year-old janitor saved pennies and never quit his job and secretly made millions on the stock market before dying and leaving $6 million to his local hospital and library. A lot of people say riches won't change them, but one man truly managed to pull it off. Vermont man Ronald Reed, who made millions on the stock market but kept his job as a janitor until his death. Even his friends had no idea about the $8 million fortune... He'd amassed until he died on June 2nd and left $6 million to a library and hospital in Battleboro, Vermont. You'd never know the man was a millionaire, said his lawyer, Lori Rowell. The last time he came here, he parked far away in a spot where there were no meters so he could save the coins. Reed, 92, was the first person in his family to graduate high school. He wore old flannel shirts and would spend his time foraging for fallen branches for his home stove. In fact, he looked so poor that he once tried to pay for his regular breakfast of an English muffin with peanut butter uh, uh, by asking someone else to pick up the bill for him. But this humble man who worked after the Second World War as a janitor at J.C. Penney was secretly a stock market wizard who could have built a mountain of muffins if he had wanted to. But despite an addition to the Wall Street Journal and a nose for money, Reed described as, was described as fiercely private by friends and was content to simply live his life. And when his life was lived, he passed on most of his hard work to two local institutions, Brooks Memorial Library and Battleboro Memorial Hospital, both of which received their biggest ever 
donations. The library, founded in 1886, received $1.2 million, while the hospital was gifted $4.8 million. Can you imagine that? Reads to stepchildren could not been, be contacted for comment. That's so cool. My favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. And yes, I know it could make capitalism look bad if that's what you choose to get out of it. But that's not the point of the movie. The point of the movie is that George Bailey gives up his dreams and his future for the sake of others over and over and over again until he reaches this low point in his life. And I'm not going to give it away if you haven't seen it. And if you haven't seen it, by the way, that's just criminal. But he realizes in the end that a full life isn't about where you've traveled or what you've done. It's about people. It's about the people in your life and how you impact them and how they impact you. And one of my favorite lines from that movie is that no man is a failure if he has friends. And now I want to go watch it, but I can't because I'm on the radio. Have you ever stopped to think about the people that you know, the people that God puts in your life every day? Or even even think about the people that you don't know, but that you share a generation with. It's really pretty cool. You know, I don't know Thomas Edison or Abraham Lincoln. I don't know the sports stars or the newscasters or the actors or the pastors that my dad grew up with or my grandfather grew up with. I don't know them. But I get to live in the era of Michael Phelps and Bill Gates and Billy Graham. I get to be alive at the same time as these people. Then, But then think about it, though. So your kids, your kids won't really know... Your pastor. They will somewhat. I'll go with myself. as Maybe I'm a better example because I don't have kids yet. But if God gives me kids someday, my kids really probably won't know my pastor much. My grandkids won't know him at all. They will never have watched Peyton Manning play football or their Uncle John play football. But I did. Take a look around you today. Look at all the people God has allowed you to share a generation with. Someday, they're going to be writing history books about the events that we're living through right now. Abraham Lincoln had friends. We don't know their names, necessarily, but they knew him. Thomas Edison had friends. may not know their names, but they knew him. You know, I was reading in Matthew the other day, I forget where it was exactly, I think in the early 20s, maybe chapter 20 or 21, and uh, it's where Jesus is all, okay guys, no big deal, this is cool, just go and get me a donkey and it's cult, bring them back, you know, if anybody stops you, just say it's all good, Jesus, Jesus needs them, no worries. If you're stuck to put yourself in that situation, I do this at times when I'm reading my Bible. It helps me picture and process the scene. First, be the disciples that are sent to get these these creatures. Sometimes I have a hard time asking people for stuff that I know they were supposed to give me. Or do for me. Can you imagine you just walk up to the donkey and you just take it? No biggie. I would be praying the whole way there. God, please don't let the owners be home. Please don't let the owners be home. Please don't let the owners be home. So why did Jesus say, if any man stop you? He knew where they were going. He knew if the owners were going to be there or not, and if anyone would object. Which makes me think that they weren't going to be there, and he said it more to quell the disciples' fears than anything else. But I digress, and that's total speculation. Now, be the owner of the donkey. You get home from work and the colt and the donkey, the they're they're gone. 
I mean, this is kind of a big deal. You've been robbed, people. Then you find out from your neighbor that, well, Jesus needed them. Jesus needed your cult. You know, we, th- we think about the cult in the story often, but have you ever stopped to think about the owner and how that affected them? I mean, did they follow Jesus after that? Did they wish that Jesus would come back and break the rest of their herd? Because, I mean, he took a cult that's never been ridden and he rides it into Jerusalem. That's no easy feat there. I mean, I guess, it, obviously it would be if you're God, but it's fascinating to me. There are people involved in this story that we don't even think about. But their lives, I'm, I'm guessing they were probably changed forever. Because of a cult that just happened to be alive when they were alive. I mean, not only did they leave, live when Jesus lived, but Jesus wrote on their cult. You know how people meet a famous person and they're like, He touched my hand, I'm never washing it again. Imagine what they'd be like if Jesus rode their cult. I'm just saying. I feel like maybe they talked about that. I feel like they told people about that. And you're alive in a generation where there are other people around you. God has put very specific people in your life. Think about it. Think about who you get to be alive at the same time as. Think about who you get to interact with. Think about the people that you get to see and the the events of history that you get to witness. You get to witness. Your generation. Don't take it for granted. Today's programming is brought to you by Krispy Kreme Donuts Fundraising Opportunities. Krispy Kreme fundraisers are available year-round. They can take place over one to two days or one to two weeks. If your educational, religious community, or charitable cause is looking for a fun way to meet your financial goals, Krispy Kreme can help. Krispy Kreme provides free fundraising materials for your use. You can visit KrispyKreme.com slash fundraising or your local Krispy Kreme to learn more. Our thanks to Krispy Kreme for their support of KVXL programming. All right, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to have Red State's Benji Backer and uh, writer for the Blaze Chris Cruz is going to be here. You do not want to miss that. We're going to talk. We 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 uh, we opened it up on Twitter uh, yesterday. We asked for comments and suggestions on topics that people would like for us to talk about. So we are going to t- discuss uh, those things. It's not too late. If you'd like to suggest a topic, just go to Twitter. Uh, find me there at the Friddle. Tweet me if there's a topic that you would like to hear us discuss, and we will add that to our list but first let's see what are we going to play we're going to play you won't let go from michael w smith we'll be back in just a few minutes no And welcome back. You're listening to The Fertile Show on KVXL 101.1 FM here in Las Vegas. That was Michael W. Smith with You Won't Let Go. We've got Benji Becker from Red State and Chris Cruz. He is a, uh, he's pretty cool. He contributes to the Morning Blaze (laughs) with Doc Thompson and Skip Lacombe. Every time I read your bio, I'm just like, oh, that's kind of cool. But anyway. (laughs) How are you guys today? Pretty good. Good. Good as well. Awesome. All right. Benji, you sound so much better today than the last time we had you on. Yeah, I was driving that time. So, uh, <laughs> it's all right. So I'm in my house now, so there shouldn't be an issue. No, there's no. You sound fantastic. It was funny. My, my little brother called me and he was like, hey, I don't know who that one guy was that you had on. He was really good. But next time, I need to be able to hear him better because I want to know what he was saying. I couldn't hear what he was saying. I was like, all right, we'll fix we'll fix the Benji uh, audio issue, but yeah, you sound good today. That. <laughs> no, it's all right. 
That's all right. That's all right. Okay. So, uh, as I mentioned before our last break, what we did was yesterday we started taking topic suggestions from you in our audience to find out what you would like us to talk about uh, with Chris and Benji today. It's not too late. If you would like to uh, submit something for us to discuss, you can just tweet us. Uh, I'm at the Frittle. Or uh, Chris is at RC underscore Chris and Benji's at Benji Backer. Tweet us if there's something you'd like us to discuss. For now, though, we're going to start on the list of what was sent to us yesterday. I want to start with this. Uh, you guys, I'm sure you've probably seen this since you're both very active on Twitter. But there is a trend right now happening on Twitter, uh, Save the Republican Party. And it's based off of, uh, I believe there's a paper in Dallas right now, as well as uh, a former Jeb supporter wrote in the New York Times that the only way to save the GOP is, in fact, to actually vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, Personally, I'm going, yeah, no, that's really dumb. Uh, Even if you're not a Trump supporter... I don't see how anyone that considers themselves even remotely conservative is able in good conscience to pull the lever for Hillary Clinton. Chris, we'll start with you on this one. I know you're not the biggest Trump fan, but uh, is the solution to simply vote for Hillary? No, I don't think it is. And, and wow, I just had, had to mute myself because I, that's just nonsense. If, if you're a true conservative, I believe in the conservative values, and you're able to pull the lever for Hillary Clinton, that makes no sense. Now, I understand some people saying that, you know, the way to save the Republican Party is to destroy the Republican Party and start all over again. Now, that one makes more sense than voting for Hillary Clinton. But I just don't see myself ever voting for Hillary Clinton. Just look in the last, you know, eight years what she has done. It, it just makes me, makes me question the people that actually believe on that. Because if you really... Put, like let's let's forget about who Hillary Clinton is, um, and just look at what she has done in the last eight years. That was, that should not even align with your principles. You know she's been caught lying a couple of times. Um, she has lied to people in the face after the truth comes out. So it's really interesting to see people saying that in order to save the Republican Party, it's to vote for Hillary Clinton. And, and to that, I think. We should not save the Republican Party since when this become a party saving thing. You know, we don't need to save any parties, you know, because party comes and goes. What we need to start saving is the principles that we that we stand for. That is something that we should be saving. Forget about the political party. Political party at this point means just just it just means nothing to me personally. So I, I don't agree on saving the Republican Party, I believe, on saving what we have left when it comes to uh, our principles. Sure. Yeah, Benji, you have anything to add to that? Well, I, I agree with most, but I also slightly disagree. Um, while I would never vote for Hillary Clinton, I do think that Hillary Clinton becoming president over Donald Trump would save the Republican Party. Um, like I said, I wouldn't consider voting for her, but at the same time, uh, one of the main reasons I've stood against Trump so adamantly is because I think if Trump's president, he really does destroy the Republican Party. People will not want to vote for them in 2018 or 2020. We're going to lose easily in 2020 and beyond in the presidential elections. We'll lose the majority, and we're going to lose a lot of state governors um, who are Republican and state houses that are also led by Republicans, uh, especially the ones that are on edge. So I think that 
Hillary Clinton as president, that's the opposite. I think that Republicans will have that majority in the House and the Senate. They'll keep the governors. They'll keep the House and Senate in the local uh, and the states. And um, and then we'll win in 2020. These people will be so upset with Hillary Clinton. Also, I do think it's important to save the Republican Party. Although the Republican Party is not perfect and obviously not supporting them this time around, we don't have any other option. If there was, sadly, if there was, you know, if the Democrats split into two parties and then we split into two parties, then that would be different. But if we split into another party and there's another party that comes out, we're just going to be splitting votes and the Democrats will get their 50 percent every time and we'll get 30 and 20 or 25 and 25 and we'll get blown out in every single election. Everyone's talking about, oh, the Republican Party doesn't matter. It actually does, because who, what, what's going to come next? There has to be a, another party. If it's, if it's not the Republican Party, then who is it? It has to be one united party. So then what's the difference between the Republican Party and the next united party if it's going to be just the same supporters? So I do think it does matter to a point. Otherwise, we will never win again um, in any form for conservatives, moderates, or far-right leading politicians. So I do think it does matter, and I think a Hillary Clinton presidency would keep conservatism alive in the future, which is why I'm worried about Donald Trump being president, because I think he kills the chance of conservatism winning in the next 10 or 15 years. But then again, I would never vote for her because she does not stand by principles, and I can't pull that lever. Sure. I think you both both make very, uh, very good points. Something that I've been thinking about, if you let me play devil's advocate here for just a minute. You know, we... I've heard a lot of, you know, well, if Hillary gets in, it'll still be okay because, you know, we'll contain, maintain control of Congress and they'll keep her in check. And I, have, I take a step back from that and I go, all right, well, that hasn't really worked out so well for us while Barack Obama's been president. Like, we've, we've had GOP control and we're still, he, his way was still happening. And I don't see how, if Hillary gets elected, that that changes. And if, which is a pretty, it's becoming more of a possibility, if we don't actually maintain control of the Senate in particular, uh, then we have big problems with the Supreme Court and just uh, everything American in general. And I think, you know, to Benji, to what you were saying and, and your arguments for preserving the GOP and what other choice do we have, the, th- the thing with that, and I don't, I don't disagree. You know, I'm a registered Republican. I have been my entire adult life. I don't always vote Republican. Uh, but the problem is, you know, is that not the exact argument that, that Trump supporters would, would make, even the reluctant ones? They say, you know, well, we get it. We get your hesitation. But if we don't have him, then we're going to have Hillary. What's the alternative? There is no alternative. Isn't that pretty much the same argument? No, because that's the argument for this election. My argument is about the future. If we don't have the Republican Party in the future, what do we have to represent conservatism? If we don't have one united party, if we don't have one party, and this is a weird election. Donald Trump is not a uniter. He's not a Republican. He's not a conservative. So I don't even put him in that vote. If we, if we don't have a united party, how are we ever going to win again in the future? There's just no way. The Democrats unite themselves. And Usually I am for uniting the Republican Party, but when it's led by a arrogant, selfish, um, angry, lying Democrat, then I'm not going to be for the unifying of the Republican Party. But usually you want to be unified because that's the only way we can beat the Democrats. If we're split into two other parties or another party that someone doesn't like and more people are independents on the conservative side, we will never win again. So we need some party. If it's not called the Republican Party, then it's not called the Republican Party. 
some party needs to be there for conservatism and the other 50% of people who don't want to vote for Democrats, whether we like it or not. And uh, and so and then going back to the Hillary Clinton comment as well, um, the House and the Senate have actually stopped Obama from doing a lot. The majority of what he did was in his first term, uh, especially the first two years, where he had the Democratic uh, majority in both the House and the Senate. And then when he lost the Senate, he had less opportunity to do stuff, and he hasn't really done much since then. That's why you don't really hear about anything that's going on um, in Washington, D.C. It's basically just been nothing. Uh, There has been stuff passed from both the Republican and the Democratic side, but it's been very little compared to what it was before. So I'm not really too worried about that. Uh, and I believe we can survive four years of Hillary Clinton. I don't think we can survive 15, 20 years of dem, you know, Democratic lead uh, after Donald Trump's president, which I think is exactly what would happen, is people would be so upset with conservatism in the Republican Party, and the Republican Party and conservatism would die, I think. Sure, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, Benji. I'm just poking the bear here to, so that we cover sure. some talking points that people are discussing. So, Chris, I want to I want to switch this back to you because, and the reason I started with this topic is because we got a couple of comments on this. Of, you know, well, what do we do? Basically, you know, what are what are the rest of us supposed to do now? Type thing, and I think you know I, to to what Benji's saying. I would agree that if the GOP does split, then we have big problems because if the GOP splits, the GOP doesn't win for decades, potentially generations uh, to come because the Democrats, as he said, are very good at uniting. But my fear is even if Trump loses, uh, based on what Benji's saying, even if Trump loses, does not the GOP in many ways split anyway because of the many – I know there aren't uh, – in 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 for for those that run in more of a never trump circle it appears that you know there there's there's more of us than anyone else but the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people out there that actually legitimately like donald trump and what if if he loses aren't those people going to throw up their hands and say enough i'm done with the gop anyway and do we potentially split regardless of who wins this election I think uh, you are correct. Uh, I think the GOP is going to split no matter what. Um, you got here where, um, you know, not to sound like I repeat myself, but when you had all these 17 candidates running or 16, um, it was we showed that we were so divided because everybody, you know, some people saw themselves as the Rand Paul people, some people saw themselves as front walkers, some people saw themselves as Ted Cruz people. So, and then as the field started getting smaller and smaller, you start saying to people, okay, well, I'll go with my plan B. Well, now everybody is actually ha- may have to vote for somebody that was not even on the plan A, B, or C. So I think, yes, it is going to, uh, it is going to split. So what do we do now? What we do now is what actually, again, what Ted Cruz has done. Well, you know what? Okay, I failed a, uh, to run a presidential campaign. Well, I'm still going to stand by principles. Just like Benji said, you know, principles do matter. So I think we need to, we still need to stay firm in our principle because that is what led us here. And that's what actually our principle means is bringing back that old constitutional way. Like the Constitution is it. That is our what we call, you know, the, the, the sacred documents that create the United States. So that's something that we have to stand on because if we, let's say, um, we break and we don't stand on principle, then how different are we from those people that are voting up for Donald Trump? So we have, what we do now is 
you know, we have to get involved because it's, the time is now to say, you know what, enough is enough. Is we have to start coming together. And I agree with Benji. You know, Donald Trump is a big divider. I thought that I thought Obama was a divider. You know, Donald Trump is just even dividing even more as we saw in this election, where you know people identified themselves as, okay, well, I'm not going to mm-hmm. vote for this guy, but I'm not vote for this guy. But now we're forced to vote for somebody that nobody likes, especially the true conservatives. So I think what we have to do now is just stand on principle and it's all going to work out because when you don't stand on principle like Donald Trump, the the veil is going to reveal itself and it shows true colors. And then those people that stood on principle are, are going to be looked at as like, wait a minute, I messed up. I need to stand just like that person did. Now, that's interesting. And I... I... You know, in in many regards, again, I agree with you. And another thing that I've been thinking about lately a lot, though, is that, you know, while while for you, Chris, obviously uh, your your principles will not allow you to vote for Donald Trump. There are other people who are, are, though they don't like Trump, have decided that as a matter of principle for them, for their conscience, they feel they have to vote for Donald Trump because to, to them the only alternative is Hillary Clinton and they refuse to be part of that. So they're going with Trump. So I think that we have to be very careful when we start talking about you know true conservatives and principles and different things like that. I think we have... Uh, "Quote unquote true conservatives, if you will, and people of principle that fall on both sides of this issue. We just see the end results, you know, very differently. But now, okay. So that said, uh, let let's say Trump win, lose, or otherwise, right? Uh, we all agree that on the other side of you know, come November, what is it, November third? Come November third, then we we have to move forward. We have to do something. And another question that we were asked is how we as young conservatives uh, can act as ambassadors to to reach out and and bring in other young people and other people that you know maybe have been watching this from the outside and they're going, I don't even know what conservatism is or what you guys believe in, but you know this all looks like a big mess. So I don't think I want to be part of that. How do we uh, recover after this election? Again, regardless of whether Trump wins or not, how do we reach out to other young people and help them understand the principles of conservatism and why conservatism uh, is the best um, the best future for our country? Benji, we'll start with you. Sure, yeah. I, I mean, it does go back to Trump, though, because I think if Trump becomes president, we're going to have a really tough time reaching out to the groups that we struggle with. I mean, we already have a tough time as it is, um, but Donald Trump turns away African-Americans, uh, other minority groups, women, and youth more than anyone in history, uh, especially recent history. If you look at the polling, uh, NBC did a poll where he was getting 1% of African-American support recently. So the the chance that we have to put outreach to to young Americans and ethnic Americans that are not um, Caucasian is just it's just gonna be impossible if Trump's president and that's another reason why I think conservatism and the Republican Party both will not be able to survive for a very long time uh, if Donald Trump's president that being said in general the easiest way to get you know those groups on our side is to educate them that's the problem right now. We have so many uneducated people, uh, so many uneducated, um, you know, of course they're uneducated white people, minorities, um, youth, women, and the people inside the inner cities, which are, you know, usually a big chunk of minorities, they don't know what conservatism is really about. They just listen to the media soundbite and what people like Donald Trump say. 
And that's why people are so turned away from conservatism in the first place is because Donald Trump is the stereotypical um, racist, sexist conservative. And you can make an argument for if he actually is racist or sexist, but that's what he's – that's what they're told by the media, and he's portrayed as that because of the comments that he says you know, at his rallies. So it's it's really tough to try to educate these people in inner cities when all they hear is this, you know, overblown stuff by the media. But if we educate them on our principles, what we actually stand for, not just the media's one-line version of our policies, there is no way that we can't win over these groups of people because our policies do work. They do care about the average American, the poor American, and the wealthy American. And if you can get that into people's heads, which that's the problem right now, it's not in those people's heads, there's no way that we ever lose an election again. The problem is getting it into those people's heads and educating them, really tough, especially with the media and uh, the education system as it is, and the, you know, the high number of uneducated people in the country. I think you hit the nail on, on the head on this one, Benji. It's uh, perception is reality. And for many people, their perception of politics and of conservatism or liberalism is simply what they learn, you know, in college, in their university, or, you know, what the, what the media is telling them. And, uh, Chris, I'm going to bring this one back over to you. But, you know, it seems like, to, to continue on Benji's point, conservatives are also often portrayed as, you know, like the overbearing dad, the person that says no, no, no all the time, the one that's no fun, ruins everything, that type of thing, even though those dads are often the most responsible ones. But, you know, and liberals are portrayed, portrayed as the fun people, the people that love people, the people that actually care about you. How do we change this this perception of conservatism, you know, in the media and so that we are able to win over these other groups that maybe are outside of conservatism right now? Um, that's really interesting because uh, this past weekend I've been talking to uh, YAFT, which is Young American Foundation and uh, Turning Point USA and Freedom Works, um, about this exact topic, because that's one thing that we fail as conservatives. We fail to send the message, and we have a beautiful message, we have a message of freedom and, and prosperity. So I think the one thing that we have to do, basically, is go into those universities and start raising kind of the whole critical thinking, which is something I'm, I'll be trying to focus starting uh season two of kind of like where I'm at, where I am right now with this election, is that a lot of people think that um, we don't know anything and we don't know how to communicate, which is kind of half true. We know how to be prosperous, we know how to be successful, but we, don't, we just don't know how to communicate effectively like the left does. If you see the left, how their, te- how their uh, technique is, you know, they, they gather the troops, they give them the information, and they spit it out. That is something that we kind of fail to do. If you look at Twitter Point USA and GAF and Freedom Works, they are about equipping each individual. You create a chapter or a, or a uh, activist point, and then you start telling that, you know, to your groups, and it gets bigger, and it starts, you know, infiltrating like that. So that's one thing that we have to push you to do, like 100% starting now. Do not, we can't wait until November. Now, another thing that I tell people is we've got to stop focusing on today. Um, a lot of people say, oh, you know, uh, you have to focus on 2016. Well, sadly, we don't have to focus on 2016 because 2016 is already on the books. We have to talk about 2020 and so on and so on. You know, especially right now where, you know, the Democrats, you know, they got a 56% chance of taking the Senate back. So, you know, what can we do to, to if 
the Democrats take the Senate, what can we do to take the Senate back again? So that's one of the biggest things we have to we have to learn how to communicate our message because that's something that I believe and I will take to my grave is we have a beautiful message of freedom and prosperity and we just don't know how to communicate effectively like the left does. We seen the left do a lot of things mm-hmm. in the last eight years that we have never thought they would could do. And they did it in eight years because they had a one hundred year plan. You know, this is not something that they thought yesterday. This is something they've been working on since the first progressive hit the White House. So that's something that we have to start planning forward. You know, this what we're doing now. It has to start thinking of what is it going to do for my grandchildren. I'm 26 years old, so I started thinking about my son and my grandchildren. Yeah. All right. So last question, because I'm I'm running out of time here. But this is the one that everybody really wants to know the answer to. So we'll start with our uh, our resident uh, Latino descendant, Chris. How do we feel about actually having a taco truck on every corner? Um, taco trucks. It depends who's making the taco truck. <laughs> I need taco trucks. You know, there's one here actually in my university, and I never get that taco truck. Taco trucks in my stomach does not hit too well. So. Um, I think we do have a taco truck problem. You know, so, so you would be opposed. A lot of, I'd be opposed to this. We have too many taco trucks. I think we need to start creating some sushi trucks, some uh, chicken trucks. But taco trucks are getting out of control. All right, Benji, taco trucks every corner, yes or no? As a Wisconsinite, uh, we need more taco trucks. I mean, you know, you, you might as well just let them all in because we need the tacos, you know. I'm telling you. That's I, a really good policy decision. I, I think that it might be, and I'm not sure if this is something that's because we are of the Anglo-Saxon descent, and so we're like, yes, tacos. Like, do you go to Taco Bell? Do you actually enjoy going to Taco Bell, Benji? I like the sit-down Mexican restaurants. Fast food just seems like a greasy Americanized version. Okay, um, all right. Not that the sit-down versions aren't either, but... Okay. I, I feel like it's the legit, like, people that actually know what tacos should be like, like Chris, that are like, yeah, no, we cannot have a taco truck on every corner and the rest of us. Even if these taco trucks are done by illegal immigrants or immigrants just in general, don't you think they'll know how to make a bean taco? I, I feel like they could be really, really good tacos. I do. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, Maybe yeah. it'll raise the bar for Mexican food in the United States. Mm. Yes, and really, if you had the option to go to either a taco truck run by a legit uh, Hispanic or Taco Bell, I mean... Taco Bell's going to go out of business. Taco Bell, it would. It yeah. would. But then, you know, we get into the whole, well, now they're taking jobs away from Americans. So, I don't know. It's really... I oh, think geez. we're going to have to... Uh, I think we'll have to save this conversation for another time because now it's getting complicated. But uh, you can we're let us to, know. We're going to have to read some articles, some angry blog posts from people who don't yes. know anything on, online. <laughs> like, like usual. Like usual. We'll have to regulate it. Yeah. We'll regulate it. Yes, we'll regulate the taco trucks after we determine whether or not maybe you're legal and stuff like that. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. It's uh, at uh, at RC underscore Chris. Chris with a K. You can go find Chris on Twitter. Let him know your thoughts on taco trucks. And Benji is at Benji Backer. I'm at The Friddle, and this is the end of the show. All the time we have left, we're going to end today with One Thing Remains from David Wesley. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow on KVXL 101.1 FM in Las Vegas.